Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. One way that we meet Jesus is, is through the reading of his word, and so I invite you to remain standing as we honor God's word and pay attention to God's word, found in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of God. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great, your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do call upon your Holy Spirit. We are here. We are ready to receive what it is that you have for us. Lord, so teach us, show us, move us, nudge us, Lord, in your will and your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, yesterday, I went into uh, kind of uh, one of the things Uh, at that side table by my bed, which has a bunch of random stuff. Maybe you have one of those places where you have a bunch of random stuff to get out my WWJD bracelet and wear it for you all today. Anybody else have a WWJD bracelet they wore back in uh, the day? A few of you have. So WWJD, there was this huge movement and they had to sell like a bajillion of these things. Um, because I saw them everywhere, WWJD stood for what would Jesus do? And the idea that was being promoted was, was just as people were living out their daily lives to ask the question, what would Jesus do in this moment? What would Jesus be doing if he was you? And, uh, and as I look back on that now, I, I, I sort of thought just humorously, um, there are some weird things that Jesus did Um, And so I thought, well, let me just come up with my own top 10 list. And so this is Aaron's top 10 list of weird things that Jesus did. And I'm not saying you should do these or not. I'm just telling you this is what Jesus did if we ask the question, all right? So, uh, and and these are all scriptural. I have the the scripture marks in there. And so you can feel free to check my work, all right, as we go about this. So number one, Jesus told people to eat flesh and drink his blood. All right, so try that at your next dinner party. Um, What do you want to drink? Some of my blood? Um, That will go well, right? Um, Another thing, weird thing, number two that Jesus did is he cursed and ultimately destroyed a fig tree. 
All right, so uh, that's another thing that, that Jesus did. Uh, the third thing that he did is that he spit on a blind person. Obviously, it wasn't COVID time. Um, but uh, that's, uh, again, a strange, uh, strange thing. All right, number four, you all might be more familiar with this story. He overturned tables um, in a temple, and he got a whip out and drove people out. So um, one thing, if you want to, what would Jesus do? He'd bring a whip to church. So next Sunday, I expect at least one of you to follow Jesus here, all right? Uh, number five, he called a friend Peter. He called him Satan, all right? And so that would be something that, that Jesus did. Number six, he let a woman kiss his feet, um, uh, which is, again, a very uncommon thing today. Um, number seven, he murdered a bunch of pigs. Some of you are like, I'm going to have to look that one up. Go ahead. All right. Number eight, the eight weird things that Jesus did. He sweat blood. I've never heard of anybody else who sweat blood, but he, he did this. Um, number nine is a little more common uh, for people, but number nine, he disappeared without telling his parents. Um, and so uh, kids, you know, be like, where were you? I'm just like Jesus. Uh, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Um, and then number 10 is what we find in our story today. He implied that a woman was a dog. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, um, but uh, I just don't, when, I, when we were reading this scripture, and anytime I've dealt with the scripture, I've never preached on it before, I always felt a level of uncomfortability with the text that we had today. I mean, I noticed, I noticed you all. Whenever I said, this is the word of God for the people of God, you all mumbled more than you normally do. Um, thanks be to God. Because this text does not sit with the idea or the image that we have of who Jesus is. Of this loving and caring person for him to just sort of blow off and then to say, is it right to give the child's food to the dogs to this woman just does not resonate with us. And as so often happens, whenever we find a text that, that provides some, some just some uncomfortability, it means we're called to lean into it. In fact, I think that for us, um, when we say the, the Bible matters here, we're not just saying whatever is in front of us, we're good, but we are actually people who in study scripture and we seek to understand and learn the scripture in its context. That's one reason why we are reading scripture throughout the, the year as a church is so that we can understand the grand narrative and the grand story of God and so that we can better understand the stories in scripture and their context. And that's why also we're using tools like the Bible Project, which gives us videos of what was happening in that time. I encourage you to read in your Bibles the different notes because they provide illustrations that help us to understand. And so we want to be people who, when we say the Bible matters here, we are serious studiers of God's Word so that we can learn the truth as it would have been to the original readers. And that's one of the most important things that, that we try to do when we read Scripture is we try to understand what would it have been like for the original readers who would have been reading this and what did it mean to them and then determine what it means for us now. That is how we try to understand and interpret Scripture. It's hard work, but it's important, especially when we come to texts like this one that just don't seem to sit well with our souls and we're not sure exactly what to do. And so as we do that, before we get to our actual text, let me kind of zoom out a little bit and let's look at kind of 
the Bible and some of the things especially that, that Jesus did and said that may help us to understand this text. Now, the first thing I want you to know is that Jesus was prone to say things to get people's attention. He was, he was not afraid of hyperbole or exaggeration in order to kind of catch people's attention and to get them to, to go. I, I think of um, there was a guy named Nicodemus who came to visit Jesus, and he said, well, how do I, what must I do to have eternal life? What do I need to do to be saved, if you will? And he said, you must be born again. And that phrase really struck him. What do you mean I must be born again? What does that mean? To another person who came up and said, what must I do to inherit life, in, inherit eternal life? And this was the rich young ruler. He said, you must sell everything you own, give that, give that money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, are those things that he said to individual people? Are those things that are true for all of us? What is it? Whatever it is, those are some big things that he has been explaining. He called the Pharisees brood of vipers, and he called his friend, as I mentioned, Satan. He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, we understand that to be um, communion as part of what we do. But again, it was like Jesus to say things, to startle and to get our attention. That is consistent with what Jesus did in order to prove a point. Now, another thing that, that would happen is that the Gospel of Matthew, which is where this story that we read today resides in, was written to, it was Matthew, the writer of it, was trying to tell Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. That was his point, was to try to get the Jewish people, the people of Israel, to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so when you get to Matthew in your scripture reading, you will see that it was said that was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Joel wrote in the Old Testament so that Jesus was living that out. And so part of what Matthew, the gospel writer, is trying to do is to try to prove that Jesus is Israelite's Messiah and that he is their king. And we see that come up multiple times as to what Jesus says because Jesus was a man on a mission. And so in Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6, he's sending his disciples out, and he says to them, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samarians, uh, Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Your primary purpose, your primary focus is to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And what we see here, confirmed in what he said later on in this text, is that Jesus' first mission was to the is to the lost sheep of Israel, to those people who were Jews, and anybody who wasn't a Jew was a Gentile. Jesus' mission, go to the Jews, convince them. Now here's the problem with the Jewish people and the Israelite people, is that they were hard to be convinced. I was talking with the gentleman out in the hallway as he's been reading through the Bible, and he said, you know the thing that gets me as I'm reading through Chronicles and Kings is that Israel just never got it. They, they never seem to put it through their head that God is good and that God is for them. And I would say the same thing is true for us, right? If we have a hard time getting it through to our heads and our hearts that God is good and that God is for us. And in our scripture, we see that Jesus had a hard time getting his message through to his own people. There's a story in Matthew 13, just two chapters before our story we read today, and it said these words. When Jesus had finished his parables, he moved on from there. 
Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where did, then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So Jesus in his own town, and uh, I think it was a cross-Canadian ragweed that once said, you're always 17 in your hometown, right? That here, to the people who could have known, and that, that, whoa, they were seeing something different, but they could not believe what was coming from their own hometown. And so they were described as people who had a lack of faith. Matthew 13. Matthew 14. And this is actually part of the story we talked about last week, where Jesus is walking on water, and then Peter starts to walk on water. And so as long as his eyes are on Jesus, he's able to, to make sure. But when the wind comes and he sees the wind and the waves, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to fall. And it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And so here is a disciple of Jesus Christ who has seen him do miracles, who has seen him walk on water, who has seen him fed 5,000 people, who has seen him heal people, who even healed Peter's mother-in-law. doesn't say whether he was grateful for that or not. It just says that he did it. And he struggled. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And so there's this place in our story. Little faith, little faith, Matthew 15. So Jesus is on a mission, and it says, and it says in the NIV version, it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is Gentile country. And so Jesus had been doing, doing his work in Jewish land, and he withdrew. It, the implication is, I think he was getting away from the work that he was doing, and he withdrew, like he often did, to get away and to spend time with God, to not have all these people who knew of him coming at him all the time. But that is not what happened in our story. In fact, there was a woman who came up to him, and it says in verse 22, a Gentile woman. Now, again, this was really important to note, because in those days, a woman talking... A woman initiating a conversation with a man was a big deal. A Gentile woman initiating conversation with a Jewish man was a huge no-no. Some of you might be thinking about um, the story of the woman at the well and the conversation that Jesus had with this other woman. And she's like, whoa, 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 this isn't supposed to happen. Why are you talking to me? And so there is this, again, there are times in which the standard convention of the day is being drastically broken. And when it says a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, this is a sign that something extraordinary is happening in this story. And what happens next is even more extraordinary because of what she says. Again, she is not a Jewish person. She doesn't follow the ways that Jesus and his disciples would have. But what she says is shocking 
because she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And so she is acknowledging who he is by saying, son of David. That is a Jewish Israel understanding of who Jesus is. I recognize that you are the Messiah. That's who the son of David would be. You are the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the one who has come to redeem the world. And so when she said son of David, she was acknowledging his roots and his heritage in a very holy way. And then she used the term, O Lord, which is another term. Um, A Lord is the one who tells you what to do. Most of us, we, we want to be our own Lord. We don't want anybody to tell us what to do. But here she is submitting herself to Jesus. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And she begins to, to talk about her situation, which is that her daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Have you ever been desperate before? Hey, especially dealing with a medical situation or a family situation, something that is out of your control, and you are just desperate to find an answer however you can. I wonder sometimes what this woman did before she went to Jesus. Or was Jesus her first stop, or had she gone to everywhere else to try to find healing and hope for her daughter? Probably so. I mean, I I remember just being a, a young parent, right? It it makes me chuckle at at young parents now because I remember the first time our our son had a fever, right? Like, what do we do? The world's about to end. It's 101. I think he'll survive, right? But but that first time, you're you're desperate because you do not know what's going on, right? And so here, this woman is absolutely desperate, and she is begging for mercy. But Jesus here, it says that he gave her no reply, not even a word. I mean, that that just feels rude to us. Like, why wouldn't he just say, not right now, or, you know, come back in three hours when I'm free, or, or something. I'm so sorry to hear that. I don't know what it is, but, but she was begging and she was crying out for help. And, and she must have been doing a good job because the disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. I couldn't help but being a, a thinking about this as a, as a father. Um, and as you know, I got, I got two boys and, you know, over, over time, it's just like, sometimes I just need a break, right? Like, don't, don't keep asking for the same thing. Like, just, whew, all right, just stop begging. I need a break. And so it is that, that, that they're saying, All right, just get rid of this woman. We don't have time to this. She's bothering us from what we should be doing. And Jesus seems to add fuel to the fire because he does then acknowledge the woman and says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Now, again, this is part of, especially the mission of Matthew, all right, that that the primary purpose, and that's what I would say, Jesus' primary purpose was to be Israel's Messiah to be the saved and chosen one for the Jewish people. Now, his message expands and extends beyond that, but his first purpose was to bring redemption to the Jewish people. And so he says, this is what I was called to do, was to meet 
the needs of the Israelites. But that didn't stop the woman. And when you're desperate enough, one brick wall won't stop you. You'll keep going, right? And so this is what it says. It says, but she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Can you see this picture of Jesus sitting and this woman who was at one point in time calling out and the disciples just driven crazy is now rushed down, bent beneath Jesus, begging. And it's interesting, she now doesn't say, can you heal my daughter? She doesn't say, cast out the demon. She just says, Lord, help me. And ultimately, isn't that sometimes the best prayer we have? Lord, I don't know what to do. I've got some ideas, but would you just help me? Would you just meet me here? Could you be and do something? Do something good. I don't care what it is right now. Just do something. And then Jesus says these words. He says it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, as I was doing some research and I texted and asked a, a couple people, okay, what does, like, help me with this text? One of the things that people said is that there are two Greek words for dogs in the New Testament. Um, there's a harsher term and there's a lighter term. Still not necessarily nice, but, you know, it's lighter than this one. And Jesus used the lighter one. Now, it was commonplace for Jewish people to refer to Gentiles as dogs. They were others. They were second-class citizens. They weren't the chosen Israelites. They were over there. And so the common vernacular of the day was to refer to Gentiles as dogs. And so here, Jesus, and I believe Jesus, knowing what was about to happen, used this as a moment of hyperbole to amp up the situation and to get his disciples to tune in. And so what the woman did was incredibly clever in her response. She said, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Now, it's really interesting to me because she really turns the story upside down. Because so often in the Gospels, what happens is, is we find people who, and often from positions of powers, the Pharisees or the religious leaders, they would come and ask Jesus, and he would say something that turned the tables. But here, it's the woman who comes and who turns the tables. She doesn't have any power, but what she does have is she's clever. And there's a... a, a, a sort of a theme throughout scripture that God does honor cleverness and persistence. And what we see here is that this woman's cleverness and her persistence is honored. Dear woman, he said to her, your faith is great. See, he didn't call her a dog then. Dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So in comparison to everything else and everyone else in, in Matthew's gospel whose faith was little, here this Gentile woman in desperate need had great faith. It was the outsider. It was the person who wasn't expected. It was the one who Jesus hadn't come for quite yet who still received the incredible blessing of God. The healing 
and the exorcism of the demon from her daughter. What an extraordinary story. What an extraordinary way and goodness that God had. And and I think part of it was her faith that she had because she had nothing else. She was absolutely, completely desperate. And I think that part of where God wants us to be is to this place of, of total desperation. But I don't know about you, but when I encounter problems in my life, my first thing I'm supposed to do is say, Jesus, here it is. But most of the time, I have a problem in my life, and I think, oh, I'm going to fix it. I'm like Bob the Builder. Can I fix it? Yes, I can. Right? And so no matter what it is, all right, it's like, okay, well, let me get busy trying to, to fix this. And so I try to do it all myself, or every once in a while, I'll ask some other people to help me, but I don't really go to God and just pour myself out to him and say, God, I don't know how to solve it. In fact, my, my, my pride and my arrogance says, Aaron, you can fix it. When that's not great faith. Great faith is not, I can fix it. God, don't worry about me. Great faith is saying, Lord, here I am, completely helpless. Help me. And I think what often happens is that we are too busy trying to fix our problems that we never get around to falling at his feet. We're so busy trying to be independent, trying to be successful, trying to do it on our own, that we never get around to falling at his feet and saying, Lord, help me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Because we try to earn mercy. We try to solve it ourselves. We try to get there. And the truth about what God desires is not our expertise, but our weakness. It's not our strength, but our struggles. He doesn't want us to come all prepared and say, Lord, here I am ready to change the world. He wants us to come empty handed so that he can give us what he has for us, which is his own son and his own goodness. God desires our desperate dependence. This is what is of great faith. It's the woman who nobody expected, who was desperate for Jesus, that had the incredible faith. And this is what God desires of us, is to come before him with desperate dependence, knocking and knocking and knocking at the door. And there are some of us who who sometimes we just say, well, I prayed about it, and so thus God's going to do his thing. But again, God wants us to be dependent on him. And sometimes that means continuing to knock at the door of faith again and again and again. And we sometimes think, God, I I asked once. There's a, a parable, I think it's Luke 18, about the parable of this persistent widow and how this widow went to this judge again and again and again Um, to try to get justice. And eventually, even though he was an unjust judge, he just gave her what she wanted to get rid of her. And Jesus said, if this unjust judge will give the woman what he wants just to get rid of her, imagine how good God's justice will be for those who are persistent. And I don't always know why God answers some prayers and not others. And, And I'm not saying that if you just pray more, you'll get what you want. In fact, I don't think that's the way it works. Um, Because often what we want isn't what God wants for us. Let me say that again. Often what we want is not what God wants for us. But I do believe that if we keep knocking at the door, that sometimes that is exactly what God wants us to do. Is to keep knocking and knocking and knocking and being ultimately and utterly dependent on him. I love the way one pastor said it, a guy by the name of Fred Craddock, who said, until you have stood for years... 
knocking at a locked door, your knuckles bleeding, you do not really know what prayer is. And so you are, are you the kind of person who would keep knocking and knocking and knocking at the door for God to do something? Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Or do we give up? And so maybe today there are some of you who are desperate and you've been knocking for a while and I'd say keep knocking. And maybe there are some of you who you should be desperate, but you're still trying to fix it. And I'd say put down your efforts and lay down before Jesus and keep knocking. Now as I was thinking about this um, dog comment, it, it still was sort of bugging me a little bit. And so I was talking with my dad on the phone about this text, and as we were talking, I thought about our own dog. Now, about two years ago, um, my wife and kids kept knocking at the door of my cold heart. Because I knew that we'd end up getting a dog, but I just was trying to put it off as long as possible. But it was in the middle of COVID and quarantine, and they kept knocking. And then there was some dog thing, and it was like, oh, here we go. So we go and we get this dog named Kane. Now, now we've had Kane for almost two years. He's a, he's a mutt. He's like a pit bull terrier mix. And, and I tell you what, if you knock at our neighbor's house four doors down, he'll bark at ours, all right? One of those kinds of dogs. A cat has gotten on the roof um, behind our backyard in somebody else's house, and that is a big deal to him, and he'll tell you about it. All right, he, he likes, um, he's a very protective dog, very loud dog. I just sometimes want him to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> Do you know the one time where he sits down and is quiet and is the dog I want him to be? When we're eating. You guys know what this is like if you have a dog. Now, some of you are like, Aaron, you're judging me because I'm not a dog person. That's okay. The Lord says if you judge me, you're going to hell. I'm just kidding. It's not in there, all right? Some of you are like, you love dogs. Some of you are like, Aaron, I'm with you, all right? I don't care whether you like dogs because there's a point here with Cain. And so we're eating, and Cain is sitting there looking, hopeful. Maybe they'll drop something. Now, I have, a, I have a rule I have with dogs. So if I go over to your house and you have a dog, I generally don't pet your dog. The, the reason why is because if I pet your dog, they're going to come back and expect to be pet the whole time I'm there. So I just make it a general rule not to pet dogs because then they just keep expecting it. Now, the same thing happens with food, right? And so whenever we're eating at the table, all right, and again, I mentioned we have... We have, uh, we have boys in our house, and also I eat at our house, which means that there is some food that goes in our mouth, some food that goes on our face, and a fair amount of food that goes on the floor, right? And so he sits there waiting in case we drop something. One of his favorite things, and, and somebody from the early service made sure they gave me some, is popcorn. You know, because that just falls out all over the place. And he's just waiting. Popcorn. I can't wait. Maybe. And I'm that mean guy. And I'm like, just like fake throw it all the time. 
because I don't want him to beg. I'm worn down by his begging. And there's a part of me that's tempted to just give it to him so he'll stop. But do you know what happens? He just comes back for more. Because Cain knows a secret that most of us don't know. He knows that the scraps of food from his humans is better than the dog food he eats. The scraps of food from God's table is better than any food you and I will ever eat. His grace is better than we can have. And maybe, just maybe, we need to be a little more like Cain with God and sit at his feet begging and knocking, Lord, do something. Would you just move? I'll take the scraps. I'll take whatever because your scraps are an abundant blessing. Your scraps is when demons get cast out. Your scraps are when healing happens. Your scraps are when I truly find myself in you after I stop trying to fix myself to be somebody else. The popcorn the Lord gives is better than anything you and I can make in our microwaves or on our stoves. And so I want to be a little more like that dog of mine who drives me crazy. Begging knocking, sitting, persistent. Lord, whatever you have for me today, I want it. And this is the posture of dependence and of desperateness. Do we go about trying to say, God, be dependent on me? Or do we live our lives desperately dependent on God? I need whatever you have. Because whatever you have for me that falls off your table is better than anything I can make in my own life. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.